you found a message that was delivered at Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We are praying the time you invest hearing God's Word encourages you in your walk with Jesus and inspires you to share Him with others. If you want to learn more about us or send us a prayer request, visit our website, livingstreamscc.org. Thank you for listening. The human heart is a factory of idols. John Calvin, 1536. The human heart is a factory of idols. Calvin wrote that the heart begets the idol and the hand gives it birth. We can understand today that an idol is anything or any one that captures our hearts, captures our minds, captures our affections more than God. That's an idol. One author observed that idolatry is by far the most frequently discussed problem in the scriptures. In other words... We've all got them. We've all got idols. My heart, our hearts, they are in the business of manufacturing idols. Beneath our skin, under my rib cage, is a state-of-the-art assembly line where 24 hours a day, seven days a week, our idols are being Produced. They're being manufactured and made. We forge, we weld, we rivet, and we erect that which is not from God. My heart is a factory of idols. I want to talk to you today not only about the reality of that problem, that dilemma that we have. But I also want to talk about how we can discover and how we can demolish those idols that we have built. But first, I want to make sure that we fully understand the reality of the idol problem, the idol dilemma that you and I have. I was thinking back to the message that I preached uh, in October when we were talking about the call of Elisha. And you remember when we had that, that plow up here? That's where we got the whole, you know, burn the plow, cook the cow thing. We were talking about about letting go of the past in order to chase after what Christ has called us to. And it was in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 16, that God came to the prophet Elijah, and he said, I want you to anoint Elijah to be the prophet in your place. But did you know, I didn't preach that whole verse to you back in October. You see, in 1 Kings 19.16, I only told you about one man whom Elijah called. But there was another. There was another whom God told Elijah to anoint. For in 1 Kings 19, God said, I want you to anoint Elijah as prophet, but I also want you to anoint Jehu as king. Have you ever heard of Jehu? You ever heard the story of Jehu? 
We can read about King Jehu in 2 Kings chapters 9 and 10. Jehu, he was a military man. And he was anointed by the prophet to be king over Israel. And Jehu's call was to cleanse the land. See, there was a great amount of evil amongst the people of God. There was a great amount of idol worship that was taking place. And so Jehu's call was to to cut down all those who would shame the name of the Lord by lifting their hands and their hearts to another. And so Jehu, he was excited about this call that had been placed upon his life. His enemies, they saw him coming after Jehu had been anointed. His enemies, they saw him driving down the road in his chariot. And they said, look at Jehu, he's driving like a madman. And the enemy became afraid. And the enemy began to turn. And the enemy began to run away. And so Jehu, he had his bow, he was a bow and arrow guy. And so Jehu, he took his bow and arrow and he, and he drew it back. And it says that he let go of the arrow and it pierced the enemy king in the back. It hit him between the shoulder blades and it says that it pierced his heart. You see, Jehu was on fire for the Lord. Jehu was passionate about doing what God had called him to do. You can read in those chapters and Jehu, he took out another king. And then Jehu, he went up to see a gal named Jezebel. And Jezebel was standing up in a window and she said, Jehu, how are you? He said, throw her out the window, boys. (laughs) The Bible says when she hit the ground, her blood splattered the wall and the horses as she was trampled underfoot. You see, Jehu, he was passionate about obeying the Lord. He was passionate about cutting down idols and those who would follow after them. You can read on, Jehu, he took out a group of 70, and then he took out a group of four, of 42. He took out a group of 42 for Jehu, he was on fire for the Lord. And then he got all the prophets of Baal together, because in that land, the the worship of of the idol Baal, it, it was prominent, it was prevalent, and so he got all those prophets together, and he had them cut down. And so, you know, I'm reading this as a pastor, and I'm thinking, man, go Jehu! I mean, how have I never heard of this guy before? He's he's zealous for the Lord. He's in his chariot. He's driving like a madman. He told one man, you come up here, take my hand, climb up onto my chariot, he said, and let me show you my zeal for the Lord. Jehu was passionate about God and what he was doing. I thought, man, how have I never heard of Jehu before? Then I got kicked in the teeth. I got kicked in the teeth because I read 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 28 through 29. I want to show it to you here. It says, Thus Jehu wiped out Baal from Israel. But Jehu did not turn aside from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. That is the golden calves that were in Bethel. And in Dan. What's that saying? It's saying Jehu had another idol. Jehu had another idol. And I thought, oh, (laughs) so do I. So do I. Can I suggest to you today... That there's another idol in your heart. 
Can I suggest to you today that there is an image, there's an affection, there's an infatuation, there's a desire, there's a pursuit, there's a a plan, there's a fire lighter, there's a satisfier which is not from heaven within you. There is one that is not from the heart of God. There's another idol in our hearts today. For my heart, it is a factory of what? Idols. That's a dilemma. That's a dilemma that every human heart has. An idol factory. It's a problem. And it's a problem when it comes to me and, and my relationship with God and how I, how I stand with Him, how I communicate, how I interact with the God of heaven. That's a problem that my heart is somewhere else. But there's another idol. So what is your other idol? What idol have you allowed to remain? Now it might be obvious to you this morning, but you know it might not. Your idol might not be obvious. You see, I think once we're in the context of the Christian community, or once we've been in that community for a long time, I think that we get really good at playing the game. You know, we, we, we figure out how to, how to play it. You know what I'm saying? It's like when I was in college. And I feel like every class that I ever took in college... It was a game to me. It was a challenge. Every professor that I ever learned from, the professor was a puzzle to me. And I went into that class thinking, okay, let me figure out what you want to hear me say. Let me figure out what you want to see me do, and then I will do that. Because my goal is to pass, graduate, and marry Nicole. That's all I care about. Okay, that that was my focus. That was my aim. When it came to mastering the material... I I had no need, no concern for that. When it came to understanding the subject, to being able to process the, the concepts that the professor was teaching me, I had no use for it. It was about playing the game. And I think that we do that in church. We figure out what people want to see. We figure out what people want to hear. And then we do that. And one of the things that we do, you know, how do we, okay, how do we play the game, Shane? How do we play the church game? Well, I think one of the ways is that we trade our obvious idols for idols that are easier to hide. Okay? You hear that? We trade sins for sins which are easier to hide. We trade our idols for those which are easier to conceal. In other words, we're sin swappers. Did you know that? We're idol swappers. We go to idol swap meets on Saturdays and long holiday weekends. We spend at the idol swap meet. We swap obvious sins for hidden ones. Visible sins for those that we cannot see. What do I mean? Now, what's an example 
have a hidden idol. What am I talking about? What about virtues? Did you know that a virtue can be an idol? Now, hey, there's nothing wrong with virtue. Let me state that. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with virtue. But when a mother becomes consumed with her family looking perfect, acting perfect, children appearing perfect in church, that virtue has become an idol, you see. When a man becomes consumed with his do's and do nots, this is what I do and this is what I do not, and those do's and those do nots are lifted up, virtue has become an idol, you see. Virtues become an idol. I think about the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18. Jesus told the story to those who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. He said two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. He said the other one was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people that I'm not like cheaters, that I'm not like sinners, that I'm not like adulterers. I'm certainly not like the tax collector, for I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven, it says. Instead, he beat his chest and said, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you this, the sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Virtue, you see, for the Pharisee, for the mother, for the man, virtue became an idol. But it looks good, right? Our virtues, I mean, we fit into the holy mold. Hey, that's what we want, right? But see, we swap Obvious idols for that which is hidden. One more example. I think about relationships. Nothing wrong with relationships. Nothing wrong with loving on people. Nothing wrong with with caring for people. But I think about Saul. And think about Saul in 1 Samuel 15. And, and God told Saul that, Saul, what I want from you is I want you to completely wipe out this nation that's before you. They're evil. I want them gone. He said, wipe them out. I want you to take none of the plunder. Destroy every single itsy-bitsy living thing. But the Bible says that Saul and his men took plunder says that they spared life, that they kept the best of the sheep and the goats, the cattle, the fat calves, the lambs, everything, in fact, listen, that appealed to them. Okay, not just to Saul, but, it, but this, this plunder was appealing to the men. And so they destroyed only that which was a poor quality. This offended God, and so God sent the prophet Samuel. Samuel came to see Saul. Saul said, bless you in the name of the Lord. I am fulfilling his will. Samuel said, what's the bleeding of sheep that I hear? What's the lowing of cattle 
that hits my ear. You see, Saul, he was more interested, not only in appealing to himself, okay? It was Saul and his men. Saul was more interested in appealing to himself and his army than he was to God. The men wanted plunder. Take your plunder. And in that way, who did Saul exalt? Saul exalted his men, the relationships in his life. He exalted those over God. Relationships can be an idol. Think about Pilate. You know, what about Pilate in Matthew chapter 27? He said, look, what what crime has Christ committed? He said, I I can find no basis of charge against this man. Why, Why would you have me keep him? But the people shouted, crucify. The Bible says Pilate saw he wasn't getting anywhere. He wasn't getting anywhere. It says that a riot was developing, so he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd. You see, Pilate exalted the people over God. Again, nothing wrong with caring for people. We know that, that there's nothing wrong with loving them. But when it is done at the expense of obedience to God, when it is done in such a way that it damages my relationship with the Father, with what He's calling me to do, we are forfeiting adherence to His way when that happens. Okay, We forfeit adherence to God's way. When I place people above Him, our actions show to God, no, I'm going to walk in Paul's way. Our actions are showing, no, I'm, I'm going to follow Jenny today. I'm not concerned about following God. You see, we are serving another idol. We're serving another God. Understand that when God said, listen, when God said, you shall have no other gods before me, he was not referring only to that which is metal and wood and stone. Okay? When God said, you'll have no other gods, he was not referring simply to that which is metal and wood and stone. He was referring as well to that which is flesh. He was referring to that as well which has attitude that which has personality and skin. But relationships, loving people, looks good on the outside. People say good things about me. They're going to say good things about me when I'm gone. They think I'm great because I love and I care so well. But understand an idol is anyone or it is anything that captures our heart, our mind, our affection more than God. Anything or anyone can become an idol. What's your other idol? Remember, we can trade obvious idols, blatant sin, ugly sin for hidden For that which no one else will see. Is there a hidden idol today. In your heart. It might be obvious to you. It might be not. If it's not obvious. How do we discover that idol? How do we discover the idol? How do I identify. How do I find what is going on. 
in my heart. I'm going to give you three questions that we can ask ourselves. How do I find what idol is going on in my heart? Three questions. And the first question is what causes me to react? What causes me to react? What is it that sets you off, in other words, is what we're saying here? What pushes your buttons? What makes you mad every single time it happens? Just again and again and again. You see yourself frustrated and upset every time the same thing happens. That happens to me. I don't know if you guys have found that or not. But what causes you to react? You know, Paul Tripp, in his book, uh, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, he kind of paints a, a, a trail of the idol. Okay, so, so how, how, do we discover, how do we discover what, what idol is there? Well, we have to follow the trail of our thoughts and find what idol is lying beneath those thoughts. And so we're beginning by asking that question, what causes me to react? And so think about how an idol begins, how it starts. And Paul Tripp in that book, he, he outlines all this. But he says that, you know, ultimately, our, all our idols, they start out with a wish, okay, or a, a desire. And there's nothing wrong there's nothing wrong with having wishes. There's nothing wrong with giving, uh, having desires. God gives us desires. Nothing wrong with wishes or desires. But what happens is our desires quickly morph into demands. And so instead of I wish, our thought quickly becomes I will. So what was once a, a nice and pure, holy desire, it has now become a demand. I will. This is going to happen. And you know, it's not a short distance from demand to a need. And so what happens are I will becomes I must. Once upon a time I wished, but then I decided I will, and so now I, I must. This is a need I have. If, I, if this need does not get met... There will be trouble on the horizon. This is our need. I must. The need that we have, we project that need onto other people. And that's what you call expectation. And so our I must, it becomes, well, you must. Because I feel this, because I I need this, you must do this. And when the person who must does not, what happens? Disappointment, right? We get disappointed. We get upset. We get downright mad. This is a need I have. You're not fulfilling my need. You're not meeting my expectation. You rotten sinner, we think, about that other person. An idol, it starts off as a desire, but then it morphs into a a demand, into a need, into an expectation, and then disappointment when others don't meet our expectations. Ask yourself, what is causing me to react? Follow the trail of your thoughts and figure out what idol 
is making that happen. What sweet wish did you once have that has turned nasty and ugly within you? Ask that question. What causes me to react? What's the scenario? What instance is it in your life that over and over again incites you? I'll bet you there's an idol there. I'll bet you there's an idol behind that. Prayerfully ask, what's causing me to react? And not only that, but what's causing me to react again and again and again? I thought about Saul. You remember when he kept throwing the spear at David? Like, oh, he threw the spear at him like three times. I'm like, what's up with that? I'm like, somebody throws a spear at me one time. I'm gone, you know. But it says that in 1 Samuel 18, it says, A tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand, and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David escaped. What's up with that? I mean, the dude's playing the harp for you. What happened there? Well, 1 Samuel 18, 9, it says that Saul, he kept a jealous eye on David. So what was behind Saul's reaction there? It was jealousy, right? He was lifting up himself. He was lifting up his own once. So we're trying to discover what what hidden idol might be lurking within me. The first question we can ask is what causes me to react? The second question that we can ask, I'll give you three as I said. But the second question is what do I scheme to get? What do I scheme to get? Listen, if there's something in your life that you continually have to plot and plan and maneuver and figure out, I'll bet you there's an idol behind that. I'll bet you that there's an idol behind our conniving and our plotting and our scheming. Rest assured, you have crossed over into idle territory when we begin to plot to get what we want. I mentioned Jehu tossing Jezebel out the window. Remember she, you know. Jezebel, she was an idol worshiper. Scheming marked her life. Jezebel was married to King Ahab. We're told the story of She wrote a letter in the king's name. And she marked that letter with the king's seal without the king knowing. And as a result of that letter, an innocent man was stoned to death. The Bible says that that no one else so completely sold himself to what was evil in the Lord's sight as Ahab did under the influence of Jezebel. The thing to understand about Jezebel, she was a schemer. She liked to scheme. She liked to make things happen. She liked to have things work in her favor. People died as a result. The heart that schemes, listen, the heart that schemes, it's not a righteous heart. Scheming is not of God. 
Proverbs 6. There are six things the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, a.k.a. schemes. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. And one who sows discord among brothers. What do you have to scheme to get? Is there something in life that you're scheming for? You know, the Spirit showed me one of those in my heart this week. I thought, shoot, Pastor Shane is scheming. I can't believe my heart would scheme. But it does. For from a simple wish comes a demand. From a simple demand comes a need. From a need comes expectation and disappointment and anger. We want to make things happen how we want them to happen. And so we scheme. I don't want to do that. You know, tick me, tick me right off that I was scheming. <laughs> May we always remember today, the Lord Jesus Christ knows what you need. He knows everything you need. He knows everything your heart needs, your family needs, your children needs. There is no room for scheme in the kingdom of God. There's no room for it. If you have, if you have to plot and connive to get what you want, watch out for an idol is inciting that. Discover your other idol. Prayerfully ask Ask yourself these questions. What, what causes me to react? What do I scheme to get? And then the third one, I'm going to use a pretty, you know, uh, tense word here. So don't, you know, freak out. But this is hands down the best question. You're going to remember this for the rest of your life. I promise. Number three, what makes me, you ready? Stupid. I feel horrible. I tell my children not to say this, but here I am doing it now. What makes me stupid? I read a book this week uh, over Christmas called the, the uh, called Gospel Treason, betraying the gospel with hidden idols by Brad Bigney. And in that book, he said it. He said, "Idols make you stupid." And so it is. I think that's true. You know, we've heard those phrases. Stupid is, stupid does, right? Stupid people, they do stupid things. I'd suggest to you, idolatrous people do stupid things. We see that again and again. We, live, we have lived that. I was on the road driving yesterday morning. And it was before the sun had come up, so it was still dark. But I happened to notice that there were some deer who were running across the field toward the road. And so I didn't slam on my brakes because Nicole tells me all the time, Shane, don't slam on your brakes. That's dangerous. You're supposed to honk the horn if you didn't know that. If you see a deer, honk the horn. They're supposed to turn away. Now, granted, the horn on my little car is not that intimidating, but I honked that horn with all my heart. And those darn deer, they they just ran right across the road. And so I had to slam on my brakes and stop. There were three of them, three does running across the road. And I thought, what in the world is, why did they do that? I was honking. I did everything you were supposed to do. 
And they just ran right across the road. Well, I'll tell you why they did that. About two seconds later, this big old antlered buck came running across the road after him. I thought, aha, idols make you stupid. There you see it, right? Idols make you stupid. They make us foolish. Idols, they lead us away from what is wise. Got to remember that. Idols lead us away from that which is wise. So what causes me to react? Prayerfully, you know, think through that. What causes me to react? What do I scheme to get? What makes me stupid? What makes me do stupid things in my life? Follow that trail and you'll find an idol. You'll find an idol lurking underneath. If you follow that trail, you will come upon a building. An old red brick building. An old red brick building with glass-paned windows and rusty smokestacks and a loading dock. You ask those questions and you follow that trail and you will find a factory of idols for the human heart is just that. The human heart is a factory of idols. James 4, it asks the question, what's causing the quarrels? James asks, what's causing the fights among you? He says, don't they come from the evil desires that are at war within you? He says, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and you wage war to take it away from them, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, he says. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you must make yourself an enemy of God. May we discover that other idol, that which incites us to such foolery and sin. I have an idol factory in my heart. It's true, and that's my dilemma. That's the problem that I have. So I need to discover it. I need to ask those questions. This is my dilemma. This is how I can discover what that idol is. So then the final question becomes, well, how do I demolish it? How do I demolish that idol? How is it that I take it down? And James continues in chapter 4 and tells us, he says, humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. How do I demolish the idol? It says, come close to God. 
and he will come close to you. How do I demolish the idol? Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. How do I demolish the idol? He says, humble yourselves before the Lord and the Lord will lift you up. Understand that idolatry, what is idolatry? Idolatry is when, idolatry happens when I lift anyone or anything in my heart, in my mind, my affection over God. It's when I exchange the glory of God, when I push that away for the likeness of a man, for what man can give or what man can do, that's idolatry. When we rest, when we trust, when we hope in something other than the good shepherd who feeds and guards and rescues us, right? Idolatry happens. Someone other, we look to someone other than Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. That's when it happens. You know, I shared with you that story uh, of Jehu, and I close with that passage from 2 Kings 10, 28 and 29. And it said, Thus Jehu wiped out Baal from Israel, but Jehu did not turn aside from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. That is the golden calves that were in Bethel and in Dan. You know what's up with Jeroboam? You know the calves in Bethel and Dan. What are you talking about, man? You can read about what happened there in 1 Kings chapter 12, 28 through 30. And it says that the king, Jeroboam, it says that he took counsel and he made two calves of gold. Okay, those are, these are the two calves that Jehu wanted to keep. Jeroboam made two calves of gold and he said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. <sighs> You've gone up to Jerusalem long enough. He said, Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he lifted up these two calves, and he set one in Bethel, and he put the other in Dan. Then this one thing, it says, became a sin, for the people went as far as Dan to be before one. Jeroboam told the people, Stop going to Jerusalem. Stop seeking after your king. And you look at these two calves, because these calves, listen to what he said, they are the ones who rescued you out of Egypt. Why am I reading that? Why do we care about that? Listen, because understand, Jeroboam, he was saying, these calves, they are your good shepherd. The calf is the good shepherd. The calf is the one who fed you in the wilderness. It was the calf who gave you manna. It was the calf who gave you quail. It was the calf who gave you water. 
He's saying the calf is the one who guarded you. The calf is the one who protected you. When you walked through the Red Sea and and the the waves, the walls of the, the water were held up so that you could pass through. And then they came down upon your enemy. It was the calves that were doing that. Jeroboam is telling the people, he's saying that the calves are the one who rescued you out of out of Egypt. It was not Jesus Christ. It was not the good shepherd. It was not the Father Almighty. The calf rescues. That idol is the one that we look to as the good shepherd. Our idol is the one whom we go to when there is trouble, when there is temptation, when I don't know what to do, when my world's crashing around me and I'm not able to think. My idol is the one that I go to see. Who is your good shepherd today? Is it Jesus Christ who feeds and guards and rescues? Or is it an idol who does not? How do we demolish a temptation came across my mind recently? And my thought was, I want to know Christ. And when it comes to demolishing our idols, this is the encouragement that I want to give to you today. When it comes to demolishing this hidden idol that I've discovered, I recognize this problem I have. When it comes to demolishing that idol, I want to encourage you, stay with me, I want to encourage you, Instead of saying no, to start saying no. (laughs) No, it makes no sense saying no. Just hang on. When it comes to demolishing our idols, I want to encourage you to stop saying no and instead... say no. Does that make a little more sense? What about this? And what do I do about this? I want to know Christ. You see, that needs to be our response when the temptations come. How do I demolish my idols? We need to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. Instead of saying no, instead of focusing so much on the form, we need to say, I want to know Jesus Christ. Now, when it comes to that besetting sin, understand, I'm talking about that that idol that is rooted in your heart, that is the source of so much trouble and pain. Instead of saying no, we need to start saying no, because what happens is in my life, I've got this trouble, I've got this habitual pattern that I go through. I'm like, Shane, no. No, Shane, no, Shane, no. And it's just over and over and again and again, and it never stops. I'm focused on the no. I'm looking at the wrong place. So I need to be looking up. 
I need my eyes fixed and focused on the good shepherd, the one who feeds and guards and rescues me. Understand, I'm not saying, I'm not ditching no. I don't, maybe I am ditching no, but I don't mean to ditch no. There's a lot of no in scripture. There's a lot of shout nots that God gave us and I'm thankful for them. But I'm suggesting that when it comes to that which is rooted in us, when it comes to what the Puritans referred to as an inordinate desire, okay, an inordinate desire, perhaps rather than stopping the sin, our focus should be on starting a work of God. Okay, do you hear that? Perhaps instead of focusing on stopping the sin, our focus should be on the start of a work of God. The start of the Spirit doing something great in my heart. In other words, perhaps rather than form, our focus should be on holy fire. Our focus should be on that that kind of fire that fell in 1 Kings 18... When it says that the fire, it consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust. It says it licked up the water that lay in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. That should be our focus, you see. That should be where we are fixed But we stand over there, we're we're slapping our hands, we're slapping other hands. No, don't do that. Why are you doing that? Shouldn't, Shouldn't do that. We focus on the sin rather than the one who can solve. We focus on the sin rather than the one who can solve. You know, now that I'm a smelly old bear, I'm over 40, over the hill, officially... I look back on things that I once enjoyed, things that I thought were funny, things that I had such a hunger for. And now, I turn my stomach. God did that. You see, God did that in me. It was God moving the focus. It was God changing the appetite. It it wasn't me. (laughs) That didn't get me anywhere. That didn't change my hunger. Just made me more determined. Right? God did that. I want Him to keep doing that. Do you want Him doing that in you today? Changing your hunger desires, your appetite, ask Him, God, do it in me. Ask Him to do it in you more. Keep working within me. Help me, God, to see what is holy. God, help me see what is righteous and good. Help me long for it. (laughs) Help me long for it like I long for a lifetime supply of peanut M&Ms. I want to long for God like that. That's who I want to hunger for. That the Holy Spirit would be our thirst. That the Word of God would be our hunger. I got one quote I want you to understand. It says this. It's from that uh, that book by Brad Bigney. 
It isn't enough to know something is sin. You need to know something bigger than the sin. It isn't enough to know that something is sin. You need to know something bigger than the sin. My heart is an idol factory. My heart is manufacturing idols 24-7. Jehu, in his zeal for the Lord, he was all about the Lord. He was doing good things. He was growing in Christ. He destroyed a lot of idols. But another remained. There was another idol there. What other idol is in your heart today that we would find it, that we would discover it, and that we take it down today, that we would allow it to hide no longer, that we would ask ourselves, what is it that, that's causing me to react over and over and over again? What is it that I'm scheming to get? What is it that makes me stupid? Idols are a dangerous, idols are a debilitating matter. We must take it seriously. We must think through it. I wanted to share with you Jonah uh, chapter 2 verse 8. It says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit. It says they forfeit the grace that could be theirs. So much is lost when we turn from our Creator. So much damage is done when we seek a lesser God. That we would not forfeit His grace today, that you would remain in His fold today, that you would run to His fold if you are not yet in it. For God is the one who can do a good work. In you, When it comes down to it, I wanted to share uh, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And we'll just uh, read it together. But, but this, is, this is the matter. This is the changing of the focus that we're talking about. Not focusing on the sin, but focusing on the one who can solve it. Let's read it together, okay? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And I'd encourage you to close your eyes uh, with me and just now in your hearts to do that, to look up to Jesus Christ. He was seated on the throne today. And friend, I know your frustration today. And I know what besetting sin is like, what inordinate desires are like but we must understand it is not enough to know that something is sin we must know something or someone who is bigger than that sin
Holy Spirit, help every heart here today see that that someone is Jesus Christ. God, help them to see that. Help them to follow the trail to the factory those idols are coming from, always popping up, stealing my time, they're stealing my affection for you. Forgive me for that, God. Forgive me that I've allowed affection to get swiped. Forgive me that I've been fooled. For something that became nothing. For something that will become nothing. If I continue on. Heavenly Father, you are glorious, great and good. There is no one like you and there is none beside you. Would you lift my heart from the mud today? Would you lift my heart up from the ash that I would see, that I would gaze only upon Him? Night and day, breakfast and dinner, that Jesus would be my focus, that Jesus would be my thought, that Jesus would be my hope. For Jesus, we believe you will stand on that last day and all those who are in you will as well. I thank you, Father, for each person that's here today. I pray you come alongside of them. Holy Spirit, encourage their heart. Convict them if they need it. Comfort them if they need it. But Spirit, let them know, friend, I am here I'm right here with you. I'm walking with you. And I can, I who began this good work, I can finish it. Let me finish it. I want to finish it in you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.